you know, we're having this ongoing, mostly functional relationship with air traffic control as pilots. It's good to have a good handle on their love language. If you could give only one piece of advice from your life of flying, what would that be? Runway 13, runway 17, proceed straight out, air below 3000, please take off. All right, welcome to Airtime, a Sky Review podcast. Everything uh, from skyreview.us. Hey, Don Jones here, and welcome. It's been a little while. Did I do one of these? Oh, I did publish one, I think, in late December. It was the uh, bird strike where I talked with the instructor who was with me on my commercial training when we had a uh, a red-tailed hawk come through the windscreen of the airplane. So that was in the previous episode of Airtime, a Sky Review podcast, and check that out. It's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and at skyreview.us or skyreview.net. You can find it there easily enough. So glad you're here. It's um, absolutely a pleasure. Coming up on Airtime this episode, an update on my progress as I prepare for my flight instructor certificate. Working very hard, and I'm going to share some things that I've uh, learned along the way. Uh, A few takeaways. We won't go uh, too, too lengthy here. Some stuff on the FARS, Federal Aviation Regulations, and the AIM, Aeronautical Information Manual. Uh, included in that. Um, also some t- uh, thoughts on the fundamentals of instruction, just some high points, and some general takeaways and wisdom I've picked up from some of those people along the way on this episode of Airtime, a Sky Review podcast coming up. All right, here we go. Airtime, a Sky Review podcast. I hope your uh, new year has started off with a bang. And it's going well, I hope. All right. Moving along on my flight instructor certificate, I've gone full tilt. I've finished my basically my lesson plan book, my massive book I've referred to it the last several episodes. In fact, probably nearly every episode <laughs> I've made a reference to it because I've been working on it the whole time, off and on. And when I say I've finished it, that means I've finished the basic groundwork that is it in fact i've i took the massive 250 page uh 46 000 word documents uh word document down to fedex kinkos and, and had it printed and bound and what's funny is about having finished it <laughs> in quotes i've already uh just a couple of few weeks removed from that have uh lambasted it with a pencil yeah i've got quite a few pages in there already that i've added all kinds of notes so that's just how it goes. Uh, in fact, that is the idea. I, I figured that that will certainly not be the only printing of my CFI prep book uh, because I keep coming into contact with some really great bits of aviation wisdom and little uh, pieces of advice, uh, especially things that can be used in the airplane in the moment for a particular maneuver. Uh, just another way to understand it, another way to uh, get a little more efficient with um, performing it more closely to correct perhaps the first time things like that if you will so so yeah lots of lots of pencils being uh, expended on the on the finished book but that's just how it is uh, you know it seems like the last several episodes I've, I've just gotten done with the yard work when I come into the, uh, the little room here to record this that is not the case this time of year uh, it's kind of a wonderful time of year for me personally because I get a little bit of a reprieve from the the yard work. 
uh, thing. I kind of insist on doing my own yard work. Uh, we have a pretty good-sized yard. Uh, we don't have a huge house, but we have a fairly large yard, and uh, we have a lot of huge trees, and so that makes a, a, a bit of work. Um, and especially in the fall and winter when the leaves come down, there's two or three stints of, of getting the leaves to disappear because it's quite a juggernaut. This year, the leaves seem to fall pretty pretty rapidly, and so it took me two rounds. Um, I mulch them with the zero turn, and wonderfully, uh, my last my last pass at it really got things cleaned up between the blower and the mulching and the all that. So I, I've got a window of, of wonderful time where I'm not mowing and weed-eating and, and, and blowering all the time to finish up my CFI bit. And with an instructor, so I've got to do that part. Uh, go through the, do the lessons, and show her that I have the ability to teach all of the things that are there, and uh, and then also teach them in the airplane the maneuvers and things uh, while flying from the right seat. So that's what we're doing now. So that's uh, the state of the union there, and uh, also in doing this course, the thing that comes away, and I think everybody who does the CFI probably can attest to having a deeper familiarity, of course, <laughs> you have to, uh, of the airplane flying handbook, the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge and the far aim, as well as um, the POH for whatever aircraft you're flying. You get really, really, really familiar with all of those documents. So that's kind of a general overview of that. Coming up on Airtime, a Sky Review podcast, We'll talk a little bit about the uh, far aim, some stuff in the far aim that uh, I think is interesting, uh, starting with the Federal Aviation Regulations uh, part of the book in just a moment on Airtime, the Sky Review Podcast. All right, welcome back. It's Airtime, a Sky Review Podcast. You can uh, subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And new episodes will just arrive on your preferred device automatically when they happen. And hopefully that'll be with some regularity if I can uh, keep myself disciplined. All right. So, you know, the Federal Aviation Regulations are, yeah, regulatory. Everybody knows that. So one of the interesting things is I don't, I, I'm, maybe I had gone to the uh Title 14 Aeronautics and Space, or the Code of Federal Regulations actual hub, because, you know, the Code of Federal Regulations, is it's all of the things. And, and you know, then you've got to go down to Title 14 Aeronautics and Space, and, you know, and then you just keep drilling down till you get to the, the part we're doing. But from the Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, it says the, uh, you know, the FARs provide rules for all areas of aviation, flight ops, aircraft construction, training requirements, Etc. So it's all in there. If you want to know how to do it legally, that's where it is. And of course, you can find it easily online in its raw form there on the Code of Federal Regulations and just drill down to Title 14. It is, there's some value in seeing it there at the hub with all of the other non aviation topics. And you get a little more of a connection with, oh, <laughs> you're, you're a little closer to the horse's mouth. Yeah, okay. But anyway, FAA.gov, of course, and uh, obviously there are the mobile apps and you've got the book form in print or directly from the government printing office, ECFR.gov. That's the electronic code of federal regulations. And you go to Title 14, as I mentioned before, Aeronautics in Space, and you'll start to see things that look familiar. (laughs) 
that real federal aviation regulations is updated daily or anytime there's a new regulation title and part 14 of the code of federal regulations. The aim though is on an uh, update schedule and the one the FAA provides online is months ahead, by the way, of the paper publishers you get in book form. So something to think about there. And obviously with the power of our mobile devices, phone and tablets and all that, but I have both and I do say there is a distinction between the two, although the electronic is updated, obviously, in a more immediate fashion. Um, there is a lot of value in having the book, and it's one of those strange things. I experienced it myself, and I was aware of it, and it's interesting. I recently discovered on a discussion forum someone who'd asked a question where they had done the same thing that I had discovered, so it ain't just me although I'm a special kind of dumb, <laughs> it's not just me. So the thing is, um, if you're, uh, looking at the, the app, right? Well, if you go there and you can, obviously you can do something you can't do with the book, you can keyword search. That's great, except it will pull the keywords that you put in and it may pull a section that doesn't pertain to your area of flight. In other words, if you search for, the um, flight altitude rules, you're going to get 91.119er and you're going to get 91.515. And if you look at both of those, if you flip back and forth on the mobile app, those regulations appear to be in conflict with each other, somewhat contradictory. And it is this specific one that I saw on a discussion forum someone had asked about. They were like, hey, I'm confused. I ran across this while looking up in the FARs. 91515, which conflicts with the thing I was always taught about altitude, flight altitude rules. And the issue there is that when you're keyword searching, it turns out 91515 is for large and turbine-powered multi-engine airplanes. The problem is when you keyword search it, you jump to those sections immediately. It's not quite as intuitive to flip back through the pages as it is in a book with actual pages. So Again, there is value in having a little more grasp of context of what sections you're in with an actual uh, printed book. And that's just what, that's just an example I saw recently. I was thinking about this and, and I had just absolutely organically um, ran across that example online uh, while just on a forum browsing around, not looking for anything in particular. And I thought, well, wow, that's funny because I was just thinking about that difference in the app and the printed book because I have been referencing these things so much and prepping my lesson plans. So something to consider. All right. And so something to think about in terms of the federal aviation regulations, they are the source of information concerning the steps toward your aviation pursuits and current activities as they pertain to what is legally required of you in a variety of circumstances. So pretty important. And some of the areas, you know, there's things like uh, definitions are right there at the very front. So you, things like equivalent airspeed, um, flight time, when do you begin counting? That's something I see come up uh, a lot on online, people asking questions. Right there in the FARs. Uh, VFR over the top. Not to be confused with VFR on top. One's a VFR ops, one's an IFR clearance required, A, <laughs> so, and those are clearly denoted in the FAR. So, 
uh, and also V-Speeds. They're listed and defined. It's all there. If someone would just come out with a book that had <laughs> this all clearly, um, clearly delineated. Now, clearly delineated, take that with a grain of salt because in a moment I'll talk about advisory circulars <laughs> as it pertains to federal aviation regulations. But that's it for that. I'll come it up on airtime, a sky review podcast, sort of a similar high point peak at the AIM aeronautical information manual. Hang on. All right. Welcome back. Airtime, a sky review podcast. I'm Don Jones, aeronautical information manual. It's designed. Uh, I believe this is from the, uh, PHAC, uh, quote directly designed to provide the aviation community with basic flight information and ATC procedures for use in the national airspace system. And the first thing that probably pops to your mind is, but the aim isn't regulatory, <laughs> says the keyboard warrior. You know, speaking of online forums and things uh, in Facebook groups of aviation, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the topics bandied about that are, uh, and, and then that's what happens. People start quoting FARs and then someone will reference the aim and then someone immediately will come behind that and go, well, yeah, but the aim's not regulatory. <sighs> okay, fine. But, you know, I did have someone tell me the other day quite adamantly that, well, while the aim isn't regulatory, it's sort of the two heads of the same monster. So one of the heads may decide to smite you with, regardless of the fact that it's the same tail and one head's regulatory and one's not. So something to think about there. I would say that the final takeaway shouldn't be that the aim isn't regulatory because I've spent a lot of time with it now and there's stuff in there I didn't even realize was in there because honestly, as a private pilot or otherwise, I didn't spend a whole lot of time perusing the aim. There's some really, really good information in there about almost all aspects of, of what we do in flying. Anyway, lots of good topics in there. Navigation aids. Um you know, like one of the things that uh, I, I read in there, and this came up at a, a, a AOPA safety seminar I went to recently, where it was kind of a sidebar, I think, but it, it, the presenter presented a, uh, a scenario or two, and they had a few different possible things that one might choose in this emergency situation, and it was as scenarios are, you know, no one correct answer. Um, part of the audience, you know, people to raise their hands and go, I think, you know, I think response A is a better response. And how many people think response B or C is the best response? And you'd play through um, the possible outcomes of each, each response to that emergency situation, given the context. It was a really good thing. Anyway, sidebar was on the chart he had up on the big screen there. Um, was M-O-N close to one of the um, airports. And honestly, I hadn't really noticed that. And yeah, he had kind of a sidebar question of, hey, what, does anybody know what that means? Somebody did. And uh, and of course, what's funny is, is I, I wasn't familiar with it. But in doing all this prep, I noticed in the, uh, <laughs> clearly it's all laid out there in the aeronautical information manual where they talk about the minimum operational network of VORs and clearly explain um, how the FAA plans on that working for uh, for your navigation. Um, so so yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's a lot of really good information in there. Um, obviously, uh, navigational lighting and airport visual aids, airspace, air traffic control, air traffic procedures, 
and all kinds of things, medical facts for pilots, all those aeromedical things are all very clearly delineated there. Safety uh, charts and uh, publications, even helicopter operations for crying out loud. That should be stricken. That's, that should be in another book <laughs> called other. I'm kidding. I got some friends of helicopter pilots. Bless her heart. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, bird and wildlife strike reports. Yeah, all that jazz. Volcanic activity. This one's great because I, I see things come up a lot on uh, on the uh, interwebs, too, where um, people will say, oh, man, I was out flying. I did this and air traffic control came on and asked me to do that. And I was confused and I hadn't heard that before. And I didn't know what they were talking about. And then I did this and they seemed confused about why I responded that way. And, and they were getting online to go, Hey, has anybody got any idea what the heck was going on there? I'm confused. It turns out, you know, the pilot controller glossary is right there in the aeronautical information manual. And I got to say, you know, spending a little time looking at that pilot controller glossary, you know, we're having this ongoing, mostly functional relationship with air traffic control as pilots. It's good to have a good handle on their love language. Nah, okay. So, so that's cool. It's right there. And then another one I see come up a lot in discussions is um, pilots who've never heard of the NASA form, the NASA uh, National Aviation Safety Reporting System. Um, and it's all right there in the AIM for crying out loud. So while, yeah, I guess it may not be regulatory, it sure is very helpful. And I would say probably like a lot of our best advice written in blood, if you will. All right. So, you know, and there are no excuses too, as far as perusing this informational stuff and consuming it or any of it, it's little excuse anymore. We have them digitally uh, on the go in app form. Now, one of the funny things about the, uh, federal aviation regulations backing up to that a bit is in doing all this prep i found interesting is is how many advisory circulars there are to further explain or clarify what is meant by certain regulations and there are gosh quite a few because i any time i ran across some and there are some that are obvious and and common like one of the ones that's still just a horse that will not stop being beaten is private carriage versus common carriage of persons or property. And that comes into play when you start. Well, I mean, obviously it, private pilot, you, could, you can't do things for hire, uh, but it certainly becomes a more emboldened and prevalent topic when you start working on your commercial license, like what exactly can and can't you do. And there's an advisory circular 120-12A for that. Um, and that one's, that one comes up quite a bit, but there's an advisory circular for flight reviews. Uh, lays out exactly the steps. Even has a, uh, a checklist guide to follow in various forms at the end. AC 61-98D. And yeah, so there there were lots of advisory circulars, and I foldered, uh, downloaded, and foldered all those PDFs too. And honestly, really helpful in my prep because the FAA and some of them, some of them are massive. Some of them are not too large, and so you can clearly get a really good explanation of some of these things that may be a little bit gray. What's kind of funny is there's actually, I found, I went so far down the rabbit hole, I found an advisory circular about advisory circulars. And then time stopped, and the sun just went dark. <laughs> uh, and I got free avgas for life. Okay. No, seriously, AC double zero point two dash fourteen. Of course, it has a weird number because it's the you know it's the center of the universe. It's the it's the black hole 
00.2-14, a advisory circular about advisory circulars. If you run out of anything to read on Earth, like you've read all the greats, all the non-greats, you've read every periodical and, uh, you know, every junk magazine on the uh, grocery store checkout aisle shelf, read that advisory circular. It's great. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I suppose it, it's, it's helpful, but gosh. Okay, and just to wrap up the far aim bit, my favorite Federal Aviation Regulation, it has not been displaced yet. Um, I thought it might be in, in all this. I mean, there are a lot of really good ones in there. It's like, okay, okay, this is this is cool. But my favorite is still Dropping Objects 91.15. Um, I like to share that with non-pilots. You know, can you drop stuff from airplanes? Uh, actually, yes. I like that one. It's fun. All right, coming up on Airtime, a Sky Review Podcast. Uh, a couple of high points um, on the POH AFM that I learned while prepping my CFI fl uh, lesson plans here on Airtime, a Sky Review Podcast. All right, we're back. Airtime, a Sky Review podcast. I'm Don Jones. Check it out, skyreview.us, skyreview.net. Uh, you can find all the things about the podcast, various articles on there. Um, I, I'm i a little slow on getting around to writing them because I've been writing other stuff <laughs> for my own darn self. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, some takeaways from prepping my CFI lesson plans. One of the things that was interesting uh, was, I had seen this before, but it's one of those things where, you know, when you're doing other lessons or other ratings and, and licenses and things, there's just so many things. The scope is so massive. You you kind of let some stuff go on by because you just you have to draw the line somewhere and go, okay, well, I'll come back to that one day. Uh, history of the Airplane Flying Manual and the POH, Pilot Owner's Handbook. A differentiation in the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge at 9-2. There's a nice little succinct clarification on how we got to where we are, which is helpful because if you're not 87 years old and always get in a tail dragger with a half smoked chewed up cigar and uh, <laughs> damn it all attitude, then, you know, maybe you don't know about the history of the, and so you just see the POH. So sometimes people just say POH and then sometimes you see the POH slash AFM. And it's like, okay, what? Now, the issue is if you fly something that's older, um, what is it, 1975? Uh, we'll get to that. So, yeah. So sometimes there's an, there's an arrow I fly sometimes. It's a 1967 Arrow 1. And my first encounter with that airplane, um, I'd been flying for a while, and it was the first airplane I'd flown solo where, you know, I needed to, like, dig into all the stuff completely because I was going to take it and go somewhere after checkout and all that. Back then, it's basically a pamphlet. You know, it's like, uh, look, isn't this fun? It's an airplane. Here's how to crank it. Fill it up with the gas and the keys, you know, taped to the pamphlet and that's it. Sort of. I'm, I'm being silly, but it's almost that way compared to the uh, approved POH. So here's what happened. Um, there was a change which begot these nice, big, full, organized POHs we have now that are referred to. But the Aircraft Owner Information Manual, 
is a document developed by the aircraft manufacturer and contains general information about the make and model of the aircraft. The manual is not approved by the Federal Aviation Administration and is not specific to an individual aircraft. The manual provides general information about the operation of an aircraft, is not kept current, and cannot be substituted for the AFMPOH. Okay, so what the heck? So we have the airplane flying manual from the PHAC. It's an AFM is a document developed by the aircraft manufacturer and approved by the FAA. So not to confuse the AFM from the aircraft owner information manual. Those aren't the same thing. So the AFM developed by the aircraft manufacturer, but the FAA approves it. This book contains information and instructions required to operate an aircraft safely. Title 14 of the Federal Aviation Regulations, Part 91, requires pilots comply with the operating limitations specified in the approved flight manuals, markings, and placards. Also, STCs, Supplemental Type Certificates, um, are in this mental space, too. Um, the Flying Club that I'm president of, we have a 172N, a Cessna 172N. It is a 180-horse upgrade aircraft, so it has an STC and the STC data supersedes the original POH because the engine's heavier, generates more horsepower, it's hanging out up there, so the weight and balance is different, the performance numbers are different, uh, you know, takeoff, landing, climb, and also your V-speed. Originally, flight manuals followed whatever format and content the manufacturer felt was appropriate. Now, this changed with the acceptance of specification number one, prepared by the Government Aviation Manufacturers Association, GAMMA. Specification one established a standardized format for general aviation airplanes, all of them, and helicopter flight manuals. Don't know why that's there. That should be in another thing called other. <laughs> oh, it is. Helicopter flight manuals. Anyway, sorry. Keep my helicopter guys awake. Anyway, the POH is a document developed by the aircraft manufacturer and contains the and it contains the FAA-approved AFM information. So if POH is used in the main title, a statement must be included um, on the title page indicating that section, indicating that sections of the document are FAA-approved as the AFM. All right, so how about that? The POH for most light aircraft built after 1975 is also designated as the FAA-approved flight manual. And they'll be in a standardized order, which is really nice, because once you've seen one a hundred times, they all kind of follow that same thing. You have the general information first, the limitations, emergency procedures, normal procedures, uh, performance, weight and balance, and on from there. So that's that's really nice. to see. But then a little history on that. Uh, it's right there in the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, which I know every pilot goes to bed at night after a brief little bit of uh, reading from the PHAC, right? Of course, of course, absolutely. All right, coming back in just a moment, though, a little brief snippet on the fundamentals of instruction from all my preppy prep, and we'll do that in just a sec here on Airtime Sky Review Podcast. All right, Airtime Sky Review Podcast. Final segment here. Um, yeah, you know, you may have guessed one of my challenges is is to uh, be more brief. Gosh darn, I can talk. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, we've got the big CFI book. My lesson plan's all pretty well ready to go, and now I'm doing them in with the instructor. So lastly, in my just kind of high points, takeaways, there's a whole lot more, but this would go on for days, and I don't have that. You don't either. Bless your heart. 
a bit about fundamentals of instruction. Okay, I've heard myriad CFIs poo-poo the fundamentals of instruction as silly. Semantic. Unnecessary. Now, it could be that I'm particularly interested in psychology. People. Uh, I don't know. Anthropology. That kind of thing. So I do find it interesting and relevant, the fundamentals of instruction, because it's mostly psychology. It's like, how do people learn? How to best teach people in a way that they learn and the variables and the challenges therein. That's pretty relevant to me. And at the end of the day, flying for me is about people more than machines, right? For me, it's about freedom and adventure and I don't know, travel, mobility, things like that. So for many, it's, you know, I guess a, a way to get a better use of their time. In other words, to get places faster. So it's a tool, it's a machine and that's it. And that's fine. I mean, for me too, I use it that way as well. But what brought me to the table in aviation was, I guess the unknown, an intriguing world, of uh, flight and, uh, probably more adventure and travel and freedom and, uh, and the challenge of, of developing excellence at it, which is an ongoing thing that more informs me about myself and humanity and people, um, maybe than the airplane and not unlike my experience with horses and the horse is a living thing with a brain. It can change its mind readily and an airplane isn't. I mean, there are variables that change, but that airplane is engineered to do the same kind of thing repeatedly with some changing variables, wind and density, altitude and such. But that human in there, eh, it's more about how they're going to handle that machine. And it's not that much different with a horse. You're trying to communicate with a large horse. You can't make it do what you want, to, but you can develop a relationship with the horse and it can begin to trust you. And then it will want to try to go along with your plan because it trusts you. An airplane, it doesn't have a brain. So it's going to trust the physics and what the engineers made it to do. So for me, it's more about trying to not booger that up and, and allow the airplane to find itself in a place to do whatever it's doing, whatever it's engineered to do optimally. And that's all about me finding that excellence which is an ongoing challenge. I mean, look at me for crying out loud. What a ridiculous thing to try to achieve for myself. But here we are. Okay, so to that end, I have a question I ask every DME I've had an experience with so far. And most instructors, I ask this too at some point. My question is, if you could give only one piece of advice from your life of flying, what would that be? And over the years, because I've been flying a while, it started as just flying. Anyway, some have given fantastic bits of wisdom. And for that and them, I am eternally grateful. Some drew a total blank. I kid you not. They had nothing. Others delivered the goods before I got around to asking the question. Yeah, they beat me to the punch. Those are damn superstars. They understand what they're doing. They understand why they're doing it. They have a clear purpose. And they're delivering incredible value the aviation world. And I really appreciate that. And I want to emulate that. Some of that wisdom I jotted down here. Um, they're pretty simple things, but don't be in a hurry when it comes to airplanes, airplanes and impatience don't mix. 
unload the wing, pertaining to flying, you know, at the feathered edge of the lift envelope, belaying the stall, unload the wing. Trust but verify, and that pertains to various things, ATC, electronics, and avionics. Your best buddy. Trust but verify. Brief what you fly and fly what you brief. No surprises. Surprises aren't great in aviation. <laughs> Not great in the airplane. Brief what you fly, fly what you brief. Just all have fun. A departure briefing. A real departure briefing. It includes a visual abort point every single time. That's going to require discipline. And the most recent one was when I was getting my spin endorsement. Don't be afraid to say no. That was the advice of my spin instructor after we got back in the T-34 mentor, because obviously I was doing the spin endorsement as required for the flight instructor certificate. So it was predicated on, on that, and that advice was the context from which it was given. So even if they have 9 million hours landed naked on the moon and their mother loves them more than yours loves you, if it ain't right, don't be afraid to say no. All right, that's going to do it for Airtime, a Sky Review podcast this episode. Subscribe Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, skyreview.us for more. It's all right there. All right, check it out and uh, make a comment. Check out the articles page. Yeah, make comments. Give me some feedback. In fact, add to that uh, bits of wisdom list. I'm all about that. Four five Tango outside Indu, two and a half miles on the ILS one three full stop. Wind one three zero four runway one three, I land.